What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. We are joined today by Justin Wren. What to say about this guy? He's an, he's a professional MMA fighter, uh, formerly competed in the UFC. He currently competes in Bellator. He's actually got a big comeback on the way, which we're excited to watch. Uh, but probably most importantly, he's the founder of the Fight for the Forgotten Charity. It's a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to defending the weak and empowering the voiceless. So I think what you're going to hear today, Justin is no stranger to adversity, and, and he and his team at Fight for the Forgotten have set out to take on two massive and sorely needed problems that need fixing. The first is helping support some of the displaced indigenous peoples of West Africa. We talk a lot about why they call him lovingly the big pygmy. And we also talk about taking on bullying. Uh, he's doing a lot around bullying prevention and character development for at-risk youths. So, I mean, look, this is a really powerful, powerful podcast. <laughs> Sony just got done listening to it. She got halfway through it and, and said she was crying half the time. So, man, what a great conversation. Inspiring. And, you know, it, it's, it's things like this that make you kind of take a step back and think about, hey, what is your purpose? So, Fantastic episode. I hope you love this one. And uh, to that end, if you're enjoying the show, please do give us a follow, leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. Justin also hosts his own podcast, which is excellent. So make sure to check that out. It is Overcome with Justin Wren. Yeah, folks. Boy, I hope you enjoy this one. I had a lot of fun. And uh, man, let's get out of the way here. Without further ado, please welcome Justin Wren to the show. Here we go. We're going up and down, over and over, over and over, it's the same old thing, up and down, over and under, under the radar, over everything, Justin, thank you for coming on the show, excited to talk today. Yeah, absolutely, thank you for having me, uh, I'm grateful. Yeah, no, well, you know, that's a that's a great word. So I was preparing for this, like I often do, or try to at least. And uh I was I was reading up on what you guys are currently doing with Fight for the Forgotten. And uh I could not get through it without getting choked up. And I was like, okay, I, I need I need some time in between when I'm looking at this last and when I start talking to you on the podcast, because <laughs> I'm I'm gonna start getting emotional off the bat. Um yeah. it's just, you know, from an outsider's perspective. It just seems like there's such a purpose behind, you know, again, I, I don't know you personally, but everything that you're doing. And I feel like the two kind of initiatives that you've taken upon your shoulders with that organization are just so powerful. Thank you. Um, the one, our, our bullying prevention initiative that comes from from personal pain or, you know, my childhood trauma and yeah. knowing what it's it's like to be that way. And then it just kind of naturally progressed. I said it maybe a year before an opportunity came up for hmm. us to step in the life. I was just like, I just want to be the guy I needed when I was like 12, you know? Yeah. Was when I was from third grade, eighth grade, for sure. I just want to be that guy. And, and we've got to start going in schools. And I was already doing that. And uh, But we had a bullying prevention curriculum. And it's actually character development uh, more so. But it's called Heroes in Waiting. It's yeah. a 12-week curriculum that can be is being beefed up to be even more than that, maybe an app and in schools and and we're talking with like Ivy League uh, universities that are that are helping us. And um, 
and it's it's really amazing to see the support. We've been in over 100 schools, 100 martial arts academies, impacted the lives of over 100,000 students. Um, but yeah, we, we, we've been able to step in and help this young man named Raiden. Uh, that's the one that uh, I oh, see yeah. myself so much. And it was crazy. I posted a video of him being bullied, um, but it was after I knew him for a month and his family wanted to come out and speak about it and forgive the kids that, that brutally, brutally bullied him. And I said, like, I mean, wow, I, re- I remember seeing that video around the time it came out. So actually, are you, yeah. are you one of the first folks that actually kind of like brought that to light? I was the first one. Yeah. Um, you were. Was, oh, wow. I didn't yeah, realize that. Was, well, I mean, there's kids in the school that were posting it privately on Snapchat or their stories. That, on I, that and, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And then I waited on it for a month and said, or actually like more like six weeks. And I developed a relationship. We went to 40 um, hyperbaric oxygen uh, treatments um, because he had a concussion. Uh, he was beat up at the urinal, beat up, uh, beat up at the bus stop. Kids were just filming it um, two days in a row. And I saw the signs of like a concussion when I met him. And, and he did have auti- mm. uh, has autism, born mm. deaf in his right ear. And I was just like, man, uh, but I think I think he really took some licks. And there's more stuff that wasn't even on video. So when I posted that out, it went, everyone that reshared it and everything else, it went out to like 28, 22 million people. It was wild. He got letters from over 100 countries. Um, and, uh, or, or messages and letters and like gifts. And, um, right. we got to go out to LA and take them surfing with world champions and go to the LA Rams games. And, and they started, he got to start scenes and CBS at the time, it's seal team. Now it's on Paramount plus mm. just talking about the actor last night, AJ Buckley that helped orchestrate all this stuff. And we just wanted to, AJ was, he grew up with parents that, that, uh, started a, a, a home, for kids with autism that were basically abandoned by their parents and things like that. And so he grew oh, up with wow. kids that, that, that suffered or struggled with the same things and neglect and, and being picked on. And he's seen it with his own eyes, such a good dude. And yeah, so it was just incredible now to keep that relationship going, seeing him over the last two and a half years, uh, be able to, um, level up in jujitsu, got him training with the best American ever do jujitsu, at least the most accomplished, um, and it's been, and that's Rafael Lovato Jr. Yeah. And that has so much purpose, so much like meaning. He's like a, a literal word, like sensei. I don't know that people yeah. call him. He, right. he is. And so we call him professor, but it's just been awesome. And then, and then right now overseas, I would say the most oppressed, I say that, but anthropologists also say the pygmy people are the most oppressed people group on earth. Well, um, can I, and, 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 and just, I, just to interject only because when I was looking them up, cause you know, I've, I've, I've heard of the pygmies, but I didn't know much about them admittedly on the Wikipedia. It, it says an endangered people. Yeah. Like often that's like reserved for like an endangered species. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, Oh, well we're destroying their habitat. But like to see that for like a group of people, I mean, that really made me take a step back. Yeah. Um, cause I, I honestly don't know if I've seen that before. Yeah. We we've shifted in, in you to Uganda from Congo because literally they were on a route that in a decade or less they weren't they were, the pygmy people in Uganda were going to be gone and um, so we were walking around with on a village that they were evicted from the rainforest over, mm. over three hundred people said you can't live here anymore um, we got to protect the wildlife and the the forest and they're not poachers. They only take what they need. 
They're the right. protectors of the forest. They're the people of the forest. Right. And it's really corruption. But they um, they got kicked out and put on one acre of land in the slums, behind the slums, in the worst part of the slums, hmm. and said, this is where you can live. Right. And because people's raw sewage, trash, filth, everything was being thrown out into their land. Like, I, I've been there. I've, I've yeah. Been there. Um, I've spent more than two years in Africa um, living in the twin leaf huts and they, they would have to pick up their fires uh, in their pots uh, while sewage is running towards their fire because people are throwing it out and the kids are out there and they're playing in the dirt and kids are kids, right? They're going to play anywhere and everywhere, but whenever it's gone through all the land and when it rains and it gets stagnant and it, all that stuff, it, when we got there, there was 152 people left, 158. 158 people and we're stepping over these mounds on that one acre. Hmm. I was like, what, what are these, why are there these mounds? And the King is named or the chief is named Zito. He said, they won't give us anywhere to bury our dead. Like this is the only place we have on, so that, one, on that same one acre. No less. Yeah, they're living on top of it, walking on top of it, playing on top of it, cooking on top of it and reminded about their dead yeah. every day. Um, like living on your cemetery. It's, it's pretty wild to think about. So um, right now we're getting ready to, we've bought on, I think, 48, 58 acres. Um, and we're going to be replanting thousands of trees to bring back the forest on their land, at least some of it. And the rest is for crops and their houses. We built, we're building 32 homes. We've built 28 homes um, for each family. And then uh, it's, it's going really well, man. We're, we're fundraising right now for, uh, the hospital and school we're building because it's awesome. The hospital is two hours away near schools, two hours away. There's 5,000 yeah. people that can't go to school. And um, right. so we're building one that will at least be able to take 500 to a thousand kids. Um, and it's been really cool. We have a $1.5 million donation of medical supplies from project cure engineers without borders. These are two of the best, if not the best in the class at what they do in the world. Engineers yeah. Orders helping us design it. There'll be a business marketplace. They can grow uh, their their farms, but they can also have um, goats, uh, chickens, r- raising honey because honey is basically sacred to them. It's like a delicacy. Oh, amazing! Um, yeah, so it's 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 going well. I'm really excited about it. And um, for me, uh, in my career, since this is the you know about athletes, it's I was fighting against people, but really I was supposed to be fighting for people. And I was thinking about this earlier when I was showering. I was like, what, what's, what's something I could say that pro that people could learn from pro athletes about? And I was like, you know, I really think it's the person with the most reasons usually wins. And if you can stack your reasons, because my first 10, 12 fights, I don't think anyone could find, or if we watched all the videos, I don't think you'll see me smiling at all after the wins. Uh, after mm. all, like I, I'd never smiled. I get my hand raised, and I think, "Is this it? Is this all?" Right. I've been wrestling. I've been a state champ a bunch, an all American, a national champion. Right. Uh, got into fighting, and I literally didn't even smile after my first win, second win, my tenth win, um, and for me, I had to attach it to purpose, like what you said. And, yeah. Um, that that's that's what I think. If you look at Olympians, um, ultra marathon runners, fighters, like 
they stack their reasons of why they're getting in there. My, yeah. my coach, uh, one of my first wrestling coaches, Kenny Monday, he was the first African-American to win the Olympic gold in wrestling. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got to learn from him, and he's been a coach of mine. I still consider him a coach. Um, yeah, I knew you were from like a wrestling powerhouse in Texas. Yeah. You had some pretty incredible coaches. Yeah. yeah Kenny Money, Kendall Cross, both Olympic gold medalists. There was not one other Olympic gold medalist teaching high school or coaching. <laughs> you had two of them. So I'd walk on the mats, and, and I just started, and kids would be f- afraid of me because of my coaches. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, good to have the wind at your back. I didn't know, I didn't know how to wrestle at all. Um, and they, I, I didn't win one match in my first year of wrestling. Like it was like at a year and a half. I won Cause you're, you're, okay. You just started. Yeah. I just started, but also I, I didn't have confidence cause I came from being a bullied kid that was timid and, and I would, it, also something else I could think about is yeah, I would, I would hesitate. I would be timid hmm. and I would telegraph everything I was going to do because I didn't believe in it. So they would know what was coming because I would start to do it and stop and start to do it and stop and then start to do it a little bit more. So I'm literally telling them, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then by the time I actually try it, they're reversing me or they're hitting their own move. Um, and it wasn't until those those coaches said, you can do this. Like right. what you're doing in the room, you're getting better. Just try it. Like, do you want to leave the mat like with your head hung low knowing you had more in the tank or do you want to go out there and just try and if you lose like you 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 went down swinging yeah so i went to a first tournament i mean a, a one one match by one point because i fell on a guy <laughs> um, <'cause he> slipped. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious about that better to be lucky than good sometimes yeah 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 so then so then i went to another tournament it was called like southern plains and all my teammates were badasses i wasn't but they said, just go, just do hmm. one move, just do it. So we trained it for like a week or two. Yeah. And I was drilling it, drilling it, drilling it with the best. Um, and then I went out on the mats. And I'm like, I'm just going to do it. This kid's from Oklahoma. This kid's from Nebraska. This kid's from Missouri. They're, they're all better wrestlers than me. But as yeah. you know, and I, I, I hit the move in every match and I pinned my way through the finals. And I was like, oh, that's how you do it. Amazing. You, gotta, you just got to believe in it. Yeah, it, it's incredible, um, and I love that metaphor too of that like that hesitancy, um, yeah. right? If you don't have full confidence in something, right? Like in wrestling, it could be telegraphing, but like let's say it's a pursuit outside of sport. Yeah. Um, you know, if you don't at- attack it with full confidence, it's like the likelihood of success. I mean, you know, I don't know how much likelihood there is. Well, and that's kind of one thing that I I wanted to ask you about, and, and you said as much yourself. Like it's, this is called the Professional Athlete Podcast, but. You know, the mission of the show is to understand, like, from those who are performing at a high level, how are they doing it? What are they doing? And then what can the average person kind of take from that, kind of close that knowledge gap that exists? Because, you know, in my mind, it's like, look, I I played college football and I had aspirations to play beyond and, and didn't. Um, but I had this realization. It's kind of like, why why am I attacking my day-to-day life any different than if I was, let's say, a professional athlete? Like, my role as a father as a husband, uh, much more important actually than that profession. Like, why am I not showing up with the same intent and drive? Um, and, and something that I've been fascinated about just kind of what I know about you, um, and you, you know, your charitable pursuits, the problems that you're going after are, are not easy problems to solve, right? Like yeah. when we think about the indigenous people in Uganda, Uganda is where you're focusing now, right? You said the, the, that was like the dire. Well, in Congo, Congo was, I mean, we're still, We've drilled like, I don't know, 
40 wells there, but we've drilled like Amazing. total. And, um, and then it came, or go ahead with your question, but it came out of yeah. necessity. I, necessity. I, I had no idea how to drill water wells. I was just, well, and that's, I, that's what I was going to ask you, right? You, you said like, Hey, you have to have confidence and just do it. And like this head hesitancy, you know, preventing you in the past, I'm, you know, I mean, there's a million questions I want to ask you, but, um, you know, what, what gave, what was like that moment where you were like, Hey, this is a problem that I can go in and, and have an impact. And then wh where do you even start as some, as a professional fighter from Texas? Right. Yeah. My, mine, mine again, came from a place of pain, um, mm. their pain, and then a shared pain with them where I was there and I was so blind to the water crisis. I didn't even really know it existed, to be honest. Um, and I think there's probably a lot of people who would yeah. relate or at least, yeah. uh, you know, and myself, like to what extent and how dire that crisis truly yeah. is for people, that, even that, people who might be near water. That's what yeah, blew my mind. That's the biggest bully um, when it comes to who it attacks. Um, what I mean by that is it's, 3.4 million people die a year from dirty water. 2 million are children under the age of five years old. Um, their immune systems aren't, aren't there yet. And, and um, so I was seeing these kids that were sick and everything else. And um, this little boy named Andy Bo, I was holding him hmm. uh, when he died. And um, I, was, I was cupping the back of his head and holding his little hand. And his mom was under my hand and holding his hand. Yeah. And um, we're sitting across from each other took his last breath and blood came out of his ears. And then I found out why he died and it was the water crisis, but also it was discrimination or just, I don't know if you call it hatred or just callous where he went to the hospital twice hmm. and the hospital wouldn't treat him. That's why we're building a hospital. This is going to be an honor of Andy Bo. Wow. Um, some years later where the first time his mom was told you're too dirty to come in here. Second time, um, they had the money and uh, they don't get paid the money. So they literally begged. This is like 85 to 100 people in this village. All of them combined came up with three and a half dollars of Congolese franc. franc. And um, he, and then they had a chicken, they had like almost two dozen eggs, they had firewood. Um, and they took all that to the hospital or the clinic there to get them treatment. It was $1 for the pills that would have cured them. It was mm. three, it was too late in the game for that. So it was like $3 for the the shot that would have cured them. And first time his mom was told you to dirty to come in here. Second time the doctor came out and said, we won't waste our medicine on a pygmy animal. And when I talked to a slave master, he said it was cheaper to bury them than to keep them alive. And I said, yeah. that's, that's, that's not true because I just spent, six or eight dollars on the shovel and uh and like thirty dollars on the casket um and so and i helped dig his grave and i blisters on my hands and i was just like this isn't this isn't right like this isn't okay these people are awesome they're amazing mm -hmm. like i i genuinely love them and, and they loved me and accepted me and adopted me and like gave me my own name and um they call me Efeosa Mabutimang. And so Efeosa means the man who loves us. Um, that one's near and dear to my heart. And Mabutimang oh, awesome. is the big pygmy. So uh, uh, they've called me Vanilla Gorilla and Albino Rhino. <laughs> all sorts awesome. of stuff. But I, uh, 
uh, I came back and for a year I was trying to figure out how to drill wells on my own. Hmm. And right now my executive director, his brother helped develop like a manual drilling method um, hmm. that was like modernizing it. Um, and we couldn't take trucks. Well drilling trucks were going to be like 500 grand. Um, and we were going to be on beaten roads, not, not any tarmac like at all. It was all off-roading. Wow. Yeah. 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 Truck was going to get beat up. Uh, there's rebel groups in the area. Things were going to get stolen. It could look like we're trying to do other stuff like, uh, drilling, like just the word drilling there. They always think of like gold, diamonds, coal tan. Hypersensitive. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. So we had to hike this equipment in and it's like one ton of well drilling equipment. When you add up the bags of bricks and bags of gravel and, and, and cement, hundred pound bags of cement. And right. Stuff that you would take for granted that even like is a part of that process here in the States. Yeah. And so we have to hike all that into the villages. And so we've done that with probably 40, 50 of them uh, to where we can't drive up to. And uh, so wow. we're, we're hiking in an hour, two hours, three hours off the road. And it's the hardest work I've ever done. Like more hmm. than, more than any fight camp, more than uh, any jobs I've ever had. Like it's backbreaking. It's hard. But, but the thing that I would say is the reward going hmm. through that hard stuff that sacrifice or that commitment or, or the, how uncomfortable it is. It's the hot, wet rainforest. I'm never dry there. Um, yeah. And the heroes to me are, are well drillers and, and the pygmy people themselves because they, they're not looking for charity. They're seeking opportunity. They, they're not mm. just wanting to hand out. They, they want to hand up. And so that's what we've always wanted to do is equip them with the tools, educate them with the knowledge and empower them to be the change in their own community their own country. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's been successful because they, they get off of the sidelines where traditional NGOs kind of can push them out of the way say, you don't know how to do this. So we're going to do it for you. Or yeah. they do it too deep or not just too deep, but too expensive. Um, and no one locally is like equipped with the tools how to, how to repair it, how to maintenance it, how to, how to fix, fix it, how to any of that. Right. So, um, so, so being kind of like low tech is like really actually kind of important so that they can like continue, like yeah. you said, provide for themselves, not be, uh, yeah, uh, dependent maybe isn't the just cheap and locally sourced materials. Ah, because okay. Now if, you're, now if you're asking somebody to, to, uh, repair a pump, they have to send it from the U S or Europe or something like that, or it's too expensive or like they can't pay for the shipping on it. Um, hmm. they can't pay for the pump. That's a thousand dollars. Um, right. so there's simpler methods that have been used for hundreds of years. Uh, but we, we also do big solar tanks and water towers and, um, all sorts of methods where, uh, where if we do can't have a truck that we rent and, and get it in there and just punch a hole in the ground to serve a bigger population, uh, quicker and easier. We do that as well. So we, we really try to think that it's not a cookie cutter solution. Um, right. one method doesn't meet all needs. It's like, let's sit down, let's talk, let's, and, and we always try to give what's going to have the highest volume, you know, that's going to serve on right. four biggest growth. impact. Yeah. yeah. Growth as the community grows, we're like right now we're, we're, uh, I, I had a meeting canceled today, but we're doing it on Friday. And, um, we're talking about how to do our first ever reservoir. 
uh, wow. and, and that's in Uganda. Um, and it's going to serve five greater communities and it's going to be, you know, 120 or more grand, um, 120,000 or more, but it would, uh, yeah, it'd serve well over 5,000 people and it would have that to where it can expand and grow to 20,000 or 25,000. Um, and it will serve as not just drinking water, but showering, um, cleaning and, and, uh, agriculture. So, yeah. uh, uh, agriculture, why am I saying it that way and not the irrigation? So, yeah. 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 Oh, it's amazing. Well, I mean, I've got a couple questions for you, but sure. you know, something that's really unique about both of these, um, you know, uh, challenges or, you know, the, the adversity that both sets of these groups are, are facing those with bullies, um, the pygmies, you know, uh, it sounds like in addition to just like national natural resources being a barrier, it's actually like racism, tribal warfare, yeah. you know, yeah. um, just totally being left behind with challenges where there's a, someone on the other side of this issue who is inflicting the pain. It's like, how do you approach rectifying or, or, or solving that issue for someone? Right. Because there's, there's someone else on the other side who's doing harm, you know, like, and, and you've experienced this yourself, as you just said, like, what is the path to sort of like uh, healing um, when there's someone on the other side of you causing the pain? Yeah, that's a great question. The first two years I was angry. I was, um, I'm a fighter. When, when I, when that slave master, Annie Bose was so calloused and mean, hmm. um, just no regard for human life. Yeah. Yeah. Very human, I, very human I, life. Yeah. Like, dude, I've never, I've never thought of killing somebody really, but I remember being so mad inside the grave and he said that it's cheaper to bury him and I'm digging the grave <sighs> and, and, and I'm like, uh, like I just saw, I couldn't even, couldn't I even saw he saw my face. So he, he, he left. And this is a mm -hmm. guy that came up and what are you here doing with my property? I own these people, you know, I'm just like, fuck man. And I remember I got out and I, I handed the shovel and I, I walked and I followed him mm. and I just saw it in my mind. Like I can, I can mess this guy up. I can, I can yeah. hurt him. He deserves it. He deserves it. He has a deserves it, right. yeah. So man, I think, I think there's something that told me don't do it because uh, don't hurt him, you know? And because one, it, it, if, if you love one side and hate the other, I think it's only going to come back to hurt the people you're trying to love. And then, and then not only that, like that side deserves a lot of love too, even though it's hard or not yeah. right at first, doesn't feel right at first. But now after those two years, something switched in me where it's like, love them both, see how you can help hmm. and, um, and see how they, they can help each other. Um, and so we do conflict resolution and uh, we do a lot more than just community development, but it's part yeah. of the well drilling. We sit down in community, we talk with them, see what's going on, how we can help conflict resolution. We call it conflict transformation, uh, women's empowerment, uh, peace building, uh, leadership training, um, all sorts of stuff. And having those conversations that they haven't had, um, mm. really help to where everyone feels heard. Um, and so it's been, 
it's been hard and that's probably why we're at 80 wells instead of 800 or something like some organizations can just bust them out because they have a quota to hit and the funding's there and they just they right. go in and go out. But I also think that's why the show up, blow up and blow out technique, I think it, it hurts in the long run because there's over 230,000 broken wells in Africa and mm. that's billions of wasted charitable dollars because it was done so fast and no one locally was equipped or empowered wow. like that. So the thing that I would say is I've been to five funerals of the slave master kids. Hmm. And whenever you go to, to kids funerals, like you're like, Oh man, you see, you see the humanity. Yeah. People that are treating others inhumanely. And, hmm. and that really softened my heart to where it's like, Oh my gosh, both sides, both sides, even these slave masters are making a dollar, dollar 25 a day while they're, the people they're they're oppressing aren't making anything. Yeah, being fed in food scraps like a banana or two a day. I saw. Yeah, when I um, saw that, it was. Yeah. I mean, so heart wrenching. So being able to give both sides access to clean water was game changing because we were able to educate them on saying, "Hey, mm. um, your kids can't go to school because, or one of them can't because they're collecting water all day," uh, or your wife can't even have an option of having a job to where you can become a double income family or, or home. Um, it, it, would that be an option? Would that be something you are interested in? Even part-time stuff. Oh yes. Yeah. Then being able to show them, we did some studies with some other organizations and they, they showed that uh, of that region, each household that had like three or four kids was spending $165 a year on medical treatment for waterborne disease, for the pills, for, for the medications. So they're spending that. Right. And maybe dad can't work because he's sick. Maybe yeah. mom because she's sick. It's like, all right, what's clean water going to do? It's going yeah. to change, change everything. Kids can go to school. Wife can go to work. You can stay at work at all times. If, if wife goes to work, now you have double the income. Um, and you're, or if she doesn't want, if, if that's not in the plan, then guess what? You're not going to spend half of your yearly like income close right. enough because, uh, they're making a dollar, dollar 25 a day and you're spending $165 on yeah. trying to stay alive. Not, not just curing it and forgetting about it, but like, this is just perpetual. It's a cycle. It's a vicious cycle. Yeah. So, um, so it's been really, really helpful. Uh, yeah, it's like it sounds like you, you've, yeah, you've gotten them like invested in the progress. Yeah, um, well, yeah. The ownership of it. Ownership. They have, of it. They, yeah. have, they have to know it's theirs because if mm. they if they think it's the Westerners or the white guys or or even our well drilling teams, this is their project. It's not ours. It's like you invite them to be a solution to their very own problem. That that creates dignity. That mm. creates responsibility that um, gives them something to take pride in, to be proud of. Every, every dad, every mom wants to, wants to make sure their children aren't sick. So we ask for contributions from the community. We say, yeah. you, gotta, you gotta buy into this. Yeah. You have to provide, uh, whether it's, uh, sometimes we go in and they'll help us build huts or put up our tents, or we'll just stay with the community where I'm sleeping over at this person's house in the village, this person sleeping over there in the village or sleeping at the school or wherever it is. And, um, and then they're helping feed us while we're working and drilling mm. the wells. 
uh, while we're having those conversations. So they're contributing. Uh, they're giving us day labor when we're hiking into the village. They're coming yeah. out to help us with a one ton of equipment. Uh, we hire some of them uh, for for like teaching them how to do it. And sometimes they become our well drillers uh, or our community development guys that go ahead because they're from that community. We're like, hey, we're scheduled to go here to start drilling a well. Can can two of you from this village go ahead, tell them what we're doing now in this village. And then once we yeah. have a person that's done that three or four times, we're like, hey, why don't you come on the team? And uh, you'll travel with us and kind of lead the way and tell them what we've been doing in these other villages. I love that because it's... Um... That's, I feel like a really important clarification, right? Like in my mind, it's like, oh yeah, get them invested in it. It's like, no, like they need to take ownership. Like there's, mm-hmm. it's so much more powerful to get them bought in, feel like it's theirs. Um, you know, and, and it's also, you, you brought up a really good point too. It's like, there, there are so many well-intentioned organizations that are trying to do amazing things, right? Um, but it's like, there's a difference between, and again, honestly, one, one of the biggest things I've learned from this podcast is like, you need to get to the root cause. No matter what we're talking about, you got to get to the source. And it feels like, you know, what you've kind of honed in on is like, look, if we want to make lasting change in these communities, it's like a, a well alone is not going to solve that. It's like, yeah. how do we help them like sustain this progress? Yeah. Um, both, you know, psychologically, there's like the ownership piece of it, which in itself is probably the most complex issue. I imagine to try and solve. And then there's like all the logistical things that you need to take into consideration to enable them to do that over time. Um, Incredible. Yeah, it's well, thank you. Um, We, so we've, I've resisted and I think, I think we're starting to figure it out now. I've had so many people that have been, I wouldn't even call them mentors. um, Although some were, uh, that say, Hey, you need to, you know, the book, the one thing, um, yeah, I was just, uh, uh, Gary Keller Williams or, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great book. I was just thinking about that yesterday. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible book, but our work isn't one thing. Um, people Mm. thing. just, just stay with water, just do that and become the best at that. Or, or just do bullying. You can't do both two initiatives in two different places. You have to just do one. And, um, and you can't say you're going to do agriculture and building homes and a school and a hospital. Like it's just got to be one thing. What are the organizations doing hmm. community development in that way? And when I finally found the right partners, Project Cure, Engineers Without Borders, Conscious Coalition, um, some of the best there are, I'm like, look, if, if it's just this one thing, it's going to help some, but it's not going to last. Like we're trying to transform a community and like show them that if it happens with the the lowest quote unquote lowest on the totem pole um, in their in their community, um, it's like it, it's possible for anyone. Yeah. And so that's what's been cool. Whenever people see the pygmy people get clean water, celebrate, and then all of a sudden go and and find jobs or get jobs on our team or. Uh, learn how to farm when they've always been hunter gatherers or start to build a home whenever they've only had twig and leaf homes. Yeah. It's like people like light bulbs start going off in people's, people's minds. And that's, we've, I'm really grateful for, for some of the, uh, this, this woman named Zoe, who's really helping us spearhead this project in Uganda. Um, she, did like a 58 page viability study, like feasibility of like, all the opportunities 
of of success and mm. all opportunities of failure, or yeah. if you phrase it that way. But the pitfalls, the danger, right, right? Yeah, you know, if we just do it this way, if we don't, if we we're shifting them onto this new land, they have to be integrated into the community. So for the last year, we've mm. been having uh, summits and meetings and sitting around the campfire, eating dinner with like community leaders, elders, uh, religious officials, state officials, uh, NGO, like, uh, people and just saying, this is, this is what we're doing. And this is how it's going to help the community as a whole, because we're not just focused on the big new people. Although that's my tribe, that's my family, that's who I love. Right, right, right. We're drilling wells for all of them. There's community gardens. There's mm. uh, a business marketplace that's open to all. They have to walk two hours to go do that. We're building yeah. a, a, a market that could be bigger and better than the other one and attract others as well as these 5,000. So instead of just one yeah. monthly market, now they're going to have a weekly market. Mm. So they're, you know, they're, they're honey. They're commerce. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so, awesome. How do we lift you up? Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Thank well, l- l- let me let me switch gears here because I know I just have a few yeah. minutes with you. Um, and I wanted to get your take on this. And, you know, is it related to sport? Probably in some way. But um, the reason I initially reached out to you and your team is when I first stumbled across your new podcast, and maybe it's not quite new anymore, technically, but yeah. Overcome, um, I was really blown away by the mission of that show. Mm. And, it, and it hit me kind of, you know, right, right square in the chest. Um, because I've kind of been on a, a little bit of a similar journey where like, I grew up in a house with a father who had like, um, pretty significant mental illness. So he had, he had bipolar and it was more on the manic side. Um, and so growing up kind of to your point, I had a lot of pain around that pain for my father. And then as I got older, realizing like, oh, you know, you got to recognize he went through some stuff too. But because of that, I always have kind of had this mantra in my head. It's like, you never know what someone is going through. Mm. Even the bully, even like for whatever reason, I was like, man, I know what I'm going through that no one knows about. And on the exterior, everything's going great. You know what I mean? Like there's probably a lot of people like, oh, Ken's so lucky sort of thing. Um, And then when I saw that you had created this show around kind of a similar mission, understanding, I hope I'm doing this justice, but um, the obstacles, the challenges, the adversity that everyone's kind of facing in their day-to-day life, no matter who you are. I was like, Oh man, like what, what an incredible like mission statement, um, you know, conversation to be having. Um, so yeah, yeah. So I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, like for me, I'm, I'm 35 and I think we're about the same age. Yeah. Um, Oh, happy birthday. You know, it's, it's big. (laughs) (laughs) The listeners didn't know that. No, but, um, it's been a journey for sure. And it's like kind of taken a long time for me to be able to open up about any of that. Yeah. And I'm just wondering for you, like you mentioned a couple of times, like it's, it's come from my own pain, my own experiences, right. you know, what was kind of that process for you to being able to like, start to like talk about some of these things and, and share those experiences. So it's been definitely like pulling back, unfolding or peeling the onion, like layer by layer. Yeah. But, um, I was a 23-year-old pro athlete that was in the UFC that uh, won national championships. And I would just say I was almost just like a, a boy who could shave. I wasn't a man mm. yet. I couldn't. I thought you just had to pull yourself up by your, the bootstraps, like men don't cry, suck it up, um, all that stuff. You know, man yeah. up. And, and there's times where you got to do that. But I don't think it's sustainable. It wasn't for me. 
And then I've fallen back to trying to do that, trying to do that. And that's what I just came from a family where there was times that people needed interventions because of mental health or because of addiction or because mm. of stuff like that. And none of the family would support it. Um, they would just say, he, he doesn't need therapy. He doesn't need right, this yep. he doesn't need treatment. He doesn't need, um, and no one would get anyone help. And then I found myself in a position mm. where, uh, going through substance use disorder, addiction, uh, attempting suicide. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually looking at a, a book that the computer stack. I don't think I can, I can <laughs> but it's my doctor, Dr. Daniel Amen. And okay. Uh, he says, your brain is always listening. Uh, that's the name of this title and change your brain, change your life. All sorts oh, of great cool. books, but I'm, I'm in the, I don't know what chapter, chapter eight, or it's maybe the 34th page or 38th. Hmm. And it's about like PTSD and you can mm. see PTSD in my brain. You can see a diamond shape. It's like a, a ring of fire is what they call it or something. And, wow. uh, and I had to go to therapy to like try to address these things. But then yeah. I would go and then I would stop and then life would happen or I would, I would go stop, go over to Africa. And I found so much purpose that I could go through anything almost mm. and because I was helping people, but then I right. wouldn't I would come back and I, then I'd be like remembering some of the stuff that happened in my childhood or there. I've been held at gunpoint. I've taken women to the hospital that have been raped. I've buried kids. I've Jeez, seen people yeah. feel not, two weeks ago. I got a picture from the first village I stayed in. I love them. Chaibusiku and Chelewa and Baiwanja. Like these people I love, 46 of them were killed by machetes and, and machine guns. And I was sent pictures of some of the people I love that were just oh, man. Like cut up and stuff like brutal. And um, so what I've learned is like, you have to love yourself like your life depends on it hmm. because it does. Yeah. After two, after two suicide attempts that I barely survived um, and going to, through malaria and almost dying of that, like I, uh, what I realized was I was putting my, my mental health in positions to where like I wasn't going to make it. Um, hmm. it, was, it was easier to say no to this life than to keep going. Yeah. And, which is ridiculous, but or no, it's not so many people do it. And I, I tried it. And I, so I understand it. I was in this burning building, um, that I couldn't get out of. And yeah. so I, I, a skyscraper. And so I decided I was going to jump, you know? And mm. so, but man, I think that in this book, Dr. Amon says like asking for help isn't a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. And so yeah. I, for help, like I'm, I'm so quick to ask for help on the mats, uh, from right. a wrestling coach, jiu-jitsu coach, boxing coach, all this stuff. But the fight of life, I never asked for help. Hmm. I, I, I ask for advice, ask for this, ask for that. How do you do this? Or, or what do I do? I'm struggling. Yeah. What do I do with this addiction? Like, well, that was one, that was my biggest struggle. The yeah. mental health side, I've, I've been able to to do things, purpose, all that other stuff. But then addiction right. would keep me out. I'd be like, hey, I. I went to treatment twice. First time it was a shame-based place. Hmm. It didn't help. I saw 34 people leave in 90 days. I was one of two guys to make it 90 days because they were cussing at you every chance they got and calling you a fake as fuck motherfucker and you piece of shit. You match. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, just like, I'm like, how is this therapy? And, right. Uh, yeah. Not, there's not a lot of healing yeah, happening one, right now. I was the only one not, not court ordered to be there. And I guess they thought it had to be tough love, but I chose uh, that. Coach. I thought, I thought fight camp. That's what I did when I went to like looking at rehabs. It was like, which one's going to be the toughest on me? That's what I responded right. to. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Was that wasn't even sustainable. What I really hmm. need is someone to look at me and say, I understand and be hard on me or keep me accountable in certain accountable. ways. Yeah. But then, but then in other ways, like be empathetic, compassionate uh, and, and like help me find the tools, the mm. techniques, like drill down into the tactics of what it actually takes to overcome this or yeah. even treat it. Because like, I think with addiction, it's a lifelong battle. Uh, it can be, if people drop their guard, it can take them out. But, but if you think of it like a broken bone, like you, it's it's broken, it heals up stronger, but it mm. doesn't. That bone can't ever be broken again. Yeah. So there's healing for it, but there's not a cure. Yeah. You know, you can you can find healing and, and all that other stuff, but there isn't just one fix all cure. So you have to stay on guard. You have to do the right things. You have to take action. You have to be open, and that's the danger zone for me. So I guess for me, it was life or death, being vulnerable. Got um, it with with addiction with depression um and so that's just what i've really tried to live my life being just 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 be real if i feel something i try not to like too much like verbally vomit on everybody with my problems but at the same time i try to be strategic with it whether it's with a therapist someone i love someone i trust but the times that i've done that whenever i see someone else struggling man i've seen it i've seen it help them so much and in the same thing it helps me it's just like reciprocity or whatever that word is yeah yeah oh man well you know and it's it's i i truly mean this it it feels like it's it's folks and and guys like you right who have have a platform uh have created a platform for yourself but also like on the one hand can very easily represent you know a lot of these like masculine stereotypes no problem like cage fighter right at the highest level um i think your willingness to, like you said, be vulnerable, I think probably makes a lot of people feel like, oh man, or you know what? Like Justin's a badass dude. And like, mm-hmm. if he, if he can do it, I'm struggling. Like, you know, maybe it is okay to like, go talk to someone, get some help. And it's just, again, it's like t- taking um, the pain that you experienced and, and making a positive impact out of it. Um, yeah. Super appreciative. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. I, I think that, I think that everybody needs a release valve of some sort. Yeah. It doesn't have to be wide open right at first, but like if you just keep that shit bottled up, like it eats at you, it builds pressure and then like pressure it, cooker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, find a way to just open it up a little bit. And then as you do that, you'll feel what it feels like, both in your mind and in your body. You'll right. literally feel a, a change. You're like, oh I, man. I think that was so helpful. And then some people just stop right after that. It's like, no, keep doing that. Practice. Yeah. That. Practice. Yeah. Oh, well, this is, I mean, look, man, I wish, I wish we had three hours. I, I could, yeah. uh, I think I got the question one of like 30 that I had for you, but this has been oh, amazing for, for folks, um, who want to follow you. We, we mentioned the overcome podcast. We, yeah, we talked about fight for the forgotten where, where can I direct them? And I know you have a fundraising effort going on right now for fight for the forgotten. Yeah, so if they want to support the cause, we have a monthly giving club and it's at fight for the forgotten.org. It's our okay. fight club and, uh, people can give $5 a month or more and help us joining and fighting for people. 
um, awesome. and, and really trying to overcome oppression with overwhelming opportunity, you know, just opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. And people can follow me on Instagram at the big pygmy. And I would love, love, love people to help support the podcast. Um, we're still just getting out there and we've had some incredible guests overcome with Justin Wren. It's on Spotify, YouTube, Apple, anywhere podcasts are, and they can subscribe. I would love to have a rating or a review, you know, a review where I can read it and see it or send me a message. Right. The, the episodes. That's really encouraging. So awesome. Yeah, man. Thank you. This is, this has no, been man. such a great conversation. Best of luck. And I know you're going to be getting back in the cage hopefully soon. So we're excited to watch yeah. that as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you so much. You got it.